You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, we are glad that you're joining us today for our second episode of this new podcast, Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is a podcast of the Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church in Dallas. But again, we try to reach people of all ages, especially all adults, talking about things in our culture right now that are just really problematic and really troubling, even for those who claim to be children of God, or maybe even more so for those of us who claim to be people of faith, trying to figure out... How do we navigate these difficult waters in a way that resonates with culture and is relevant to culture and relative to culture, yet at the same time glorifying God in the process? I have asked today one of my really good friends, Chris McCurley, who is the preaching minister for the Oldham Oldham Lane Church in Abilene, Texas, to come and be with us. Uh, Chris is a very talented, talented preacher uh, again, a very good friend of mine, good student of the Word, and really understands church work and, and people. Chris, we're glad to have you today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Chris, tell us a little bit about your background, because I know that uh, you kind of had a different beginning to ministry than a lot of ministers have. So tell me a little bit about you and growing up and then how you became a Christian. Yeah, well, uh, I grew up in uh, Paragould, Arkansas. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, at least on my mother's side. My grandfather and mother were big influences in my religious life. My dad didn't go to church anywhere. Um, So they raised me as best they could. And uh, when I got a little bit older, I started uh, kind of contemplating maybe becoming a priest. Uh, That was on my radar at about 15, 16 years of age. Um, But some things happened. Uh, The priest that I was very close to at the church I was at uh, got in trouble. And uh, he was immediately ripped out of my life. And so I got kind of discouraged with church and began asking some questions for which I didn't get sufficient answers. And I just pulled away completely. Uh, I don't really blame the Catholic church. It was, I mean, any church at that time, I probably would have been done with. Uh, Just because of the things that had happened in my life. My father um, left, my parents got divorced. Uh, I should say my father and I have a very good relationship now. He has been baptized uh, three years ago, and so that's exciting. But um, I just pulled away completely, and it wasn't until I met my wife at about 23 um, that we started going to church together. And uh, I became a Christian when I was 24, back in 1997. Um, Obviously, didn't become a priest. I became a coach and was coaching basketball and baseball at the time at a small school in Arkansas. And I uh, became a Christian, started working with the youth part-time, and that kind of led into a, 
a youth ministry position in a town close by in Batesville, Arkansas. Got into preaching after that, and here I am. Well, Chris, thank you for sharing that story with us. I've heard it several times before, but every time I hear it, I'm still amazed by how God worked in your life and led you into ministry. And your perspectives really open a lot of eyes, particularly for those who have spent their entire life being in the, you know, church world or quote unquote, being raised in a Christian family, uh, because you've seen things that a lot of families don't see. You've gone through a significant change of at least a faith system. You went through uh, a divorce in your family, watching someone that you trusted uh, questioned and taken out of your life. And so today's topic I wanted you to be part of because I think you'll have some insights into this that people who have been in the church either their whole life or maybe for the majority of their life for decades, they need to hear insights from someone who maybe hasn't had that background. What we're wanting to talk about today is how we disagree uh, respectfully because the culture that we're living in right now, particularly within the United States, there are so many different things that people disagree about, and there will be more things that people disagree about as we move forward. I guess what's dominating all of the news right now is COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And I know, Chris, that you've been you know, in a ministry context, as have I, where you and your eldership, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we re-engage church life? When do we start meeting again? How do we make those decisions when we come together? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? When we go out into public, should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? We've had the rise of riots in the streets over issues of racism. Uh, the conversations again about kneeling before national anthems for professional sports games. How, how do we navigate all of this? Um, how do we learn how to disagree respectfully? And so here's the first question I have for you, because obviously you've probably seen this just as much as I have. When it comes to disagreements, what have you seen done poorly in the mm -hmm. church? Well, a lot of this is driven by politics, unfortunately. I see a lot of, I see a lot of Christians who are turning everything into a political argument or discussion. And uh, I can't help but think that politics has become a, an idol in our culture and it, even in the church. You know, I've always said that our faith should shape our politics, but unfortunately what's happening all too often is our, our politics are shaping our faith. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it causes us to act and react in ways that are more partisan and divisive. And, um, you know, you got to choose a side. And so we're more concerned about winning an argument than we are about winning a soul. I think about all these Christians that are posting so many things on Facebook about the current climate and all the things that are wrong with our world and snapping at others and carrying on arguments back and forth through posts. I'm thinking, man, I wish you were that passionate about the gospel. Because I've never seen you post anything about Jesus and the gospel, wow. you know, and trying to reach the lost. And yet you're posting all of this about the political divide in our country and just buying into the narrative and being divided just like everybody, just like it seems like our culture wants you to be. And so that's what I've seen done poorly is this political divide and Christians buying right in and allowing politics to shape their faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. What have you seen done well, you think? We don't want it to be all negative. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's not all negative. There are some Christian men and women who are doing some very responsible and loving things. They're reaching out in the midst of the racial divide and trying to to be a light and showing others that there there is a middle ground that we don't have to operate on the two extremes. Mm-hmm. You know that there is actually a middle ground and it's the best place to be where we love one another, we listen to one another with open hearts and open minds, and we seek to make a connection there. And uh, I, I think there are folks that are showing Jesus in the midst of the coronavirus. You think about how this coronavirus has kind of shut down the marketplace. And even, you know, our churches have decided, many of them, to stay at home and worship online. And you see how many how many preachers who've probably never really known what a Facebook Live is or how to do live streaming have adapted and adjusted and used that format and that platform to get the message out. Um, I've seen conversations happen on Facebook among Christians that we're willing to be open and to listen to one another, black Christians and white Christians coming together and having these conversations. So there's been a lot of good that's done, and I, I'm, I'm appreciative of those brethren who have done that. Absolutely. And I think it's important. I mean, we all know this in concept, but then when it comes time to put it into practice, we don't do as well. It's yeah. important to understand that there's nothing wrong with disagreement. Uh, disagreement right. can be help, helpful and healthy, uh, kind of a marketplace of ideas as you're describing that I learn from your point of view as you learn from my point of view, if we will have the humility and maturity to listen more than we speak. I've sat through uh, several meetings within church leadership within the past 60 to 90 days about the, the reopening topic and as you can imagine, even at a church like Preston Crest, we have a large eldership and a large ministry staff, you know, 24 to 25 people who are in on all of those meetings. You're not going to have 24 yeses or 25 yeses or 25 noes or 24 noes. There's difference of opinion as to what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Uh, but I'm happy to say within church leadership, you know, those opinions are expressed. And then when the meeting's over, we we leave in one accord, we leave in unity, even though there's someone in that meeting that's not necessarily getting their way, if you want to call it that yeah. for a lack of better term. So having that open dialogue and having the understanding that we're never going to agree on everything, but let's learn from each other, I think is a, a healthy way to live, not just in our times, but in all times, whether it be gun control or racist feelings or the coronavirus or whatever it may be when a church decides to make a decision for that congregation, why did you choose to make that decision? Actually listen to what they had to say before you jump to conclusions about what they're doing. Um, I, I've yeah. been thinking, you know, about a passage or two that I think really kind of speaks to this struggle of disagreeing respectfully. And the one that I've kind of landed on is in Colossians 4. And I know that you know this passage, Chris, but really verse 6 of Colossians chapter 4. But before we get into verse 6, I want to jump up to verse 5 because it kind of sets the table for why Paul says what he says in verse 6. Paul's ending this letter of Colossians where he's been dealing with the Gnostic heresy mainly, which was destroying the first century church. And so Paul writes a beautiful little letter here to really magnify the deity of Jesus and remind them that Jesus did come in the flesh, that he's just as much God as God the Father. 
But toward the end of the letter, he talks about, you know, the influence that the church of Colossae is going to have with the outside world. And so he says in verse 5, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Now, outsiders there being those who aren't Christians. So Paul is very much of the thought that the conversations you have with other people are not just going to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. They should be with people who aren't Christians. So be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And then here's how he says you do it in verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I, I love that little recipe for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, and no pun intended here, because when he talks about salt and other things, but it's a very widespread solution. Know how you can answer everyone, be always full of grace, always seasoned with salt. So let's talk about that uh, for a few moments. You know, sure. when you hear those words, always full of grace, tell me, tell me what you think that means, Chris. Well, I think about Jesus in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 17, the description, that he was full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we often feel like we, we've got to be one or the other. You know, if we're full of too much truth, then we're going to be too harsh or we're going to be too legalistic. If we're full of too much grace, then we're going to be too loving at the expense of truth. And therefore, we're not going to stand firm on anything. But it's like a, it's like a bird. you got to have both wings in order to fly straight. So you can't have one or the other. We should be about both the way that Jesus was about both. And I think always we are about that. Conviction and compassion, grace and truth. We are to be about both of those things always. Um, the problem is we feel like that when it comes to truth, we've got to know everything and we've got to win every argument. Uh, that's one thing I noticed when I came into the church uh, as a Christian, uh, a new Christian. I noticed, wow, there are so many people who think they have it all figured out. You know, mm-hmm. it's like... Um, we feel like we've got to have, we've got to corner the market on truth. Well, you're not going to know everything. I mean, newsflash, you're just not. And yes, we need to understand the elementary teachings, you know, uh, the foundational principles, sure. But there are things that we'll argue to the hilt about and we'll, we'll uh, expel somebody from the church or out of fellowship because they don't agree with us on things that they're really kind of difficult topics and gray areas to begin with. What makes you think you've cornered the market on this, right? Right. But And so we don't add the grace part because we feel that we have to stand up and be and be right. And you don't have to be right about everything. You don't. And it's okay to say, I don't know, and it's okay to disagree. And there are some topics like that that I just don't believe are going to send you to hell if we don't agree with. But, you know, that's kind of where we want to plop down on is if you don't agree with me, then you must be wrong, therefore you're condemned, and I'm the one that's right. And instead of looking this, at this from a grace standpoint to say, yes, I'm convicted, but I'm also going to have compassion because I know that not everybody does agree with me and that not everybody's on the same level that I am or so, you know, um, I think that's important to recognize that souls are involved here, and therefore that's where the grace and truth balance has to come in. That's great, great thoughts, Chris. And that's good that you call us back to John 1, 14, you know, because John does describe for us that phenomenal combination that we see in Jesus being full of grace, full of truth. He wasn't one more than the other, but he was fully both. Um, And I think it also reminds us, too, about the different definitions of grace. In our world today, 
when we think about grace, what people want to define it by is just, uh, well, they don't use these words, but what they're really wanting to say is, are you tolerant? Uh, And and there's a big difference between being understanding and forgiving and then tolerant. You know, Jesus was probably the most intolerant human being, even though he was God in the flesh, to ever walk on the face of the earth. If Jesus was tolerant, we wouldn't have all the parables that we have, and we wouldn't have all the stories we have in the New Testament. Those were strictly done out of intolerance for what was being done in the time, regardless if it was the religious culture or just people in general. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we have those passages in Titus 2, and others like it that remind us that one of the aspects of grace is being a teacher. Uh, you yeah. know, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to what God wants for our life. So grace isn't always just looking the other way. It's also helping people become better in what God wants them to be. But I think Paul kind of picks up with that metaphor here in Colossians 4. He says, always be full of grace, but also seasoned with salt. Now, yeah. let's talk a little bit about that, because he, he puts that line in there as well. What does it mean to be seasoned with salt? Yeah, I think, well, you know, you look at Bible times, salt was used in a variety of ways. It was used as a preservative. It was used for flavoring the way we use it today. It was also used as a form of currency. You know, I mean, the idea being that it was highly valuable. You know, I think when you, when you season your words with salt, what you're doing is you're giving that flavor to it to say, you know, a Jesus flavor really is we want to strong arm people into the faith. We want to strong arm people into our way of thinking and believing. We want to strong arm them into, you know, coming around to our, to our side, so to speak. And, uh, when we do that, obviously grace and love gets left out of the equation and it does us no good if we're, if we're having to strong arm somebody, this is something that has to be, you know, has to be chosen. And, and so when it comes to having your word seasoned with salt, we're trying to display Christ to folks in our speech, in the way that we present ourselves, even our argument, so to speak, so that uh, we can have a reasonable, logical conversation so that we can help people understand perhaps the truth of God's word, but also so that they know that we actually care about them as a person and not just about winning the argument because I, I I mean, we, we've often heard, well, if you just preach the truth, people will come, you know, when mm-hmm. talking about church. Folks, people in this world, they know what truth is. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you paid attention on social media? We don't, people don't know what truth is. And so I really believe that if we're going to reach the culture around us, uh, we're not going to reach them with truth first. Mm-hmm. What you're going to reach them with first is love. Mm-hmm. Do you care about me? And then I'll listen to you. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think all those things are included within this. Um, to be someone whose speech is seasoned with salt, I think, means that you're someone who is seeking to show them love and compassion, even while you're perhaps having to rebuke, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And we've all had food before that was just way too salty. You know, salt as good sure. as it can help things, can destroy things quicker than it helps it. So I think we've all been around Christians before that we would say, yeah, they're seasoning with salt, but they loosened the top on the salt shaker and all the salt came out in one meal. And then you no longer want to eat it. You no longer want anything to do with it. And so, again, this metaphor that Paul gives us here in Colossians 4 about engaging people in times of disagreement is 
a genius metaphor, not to mention inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is why it's so smart. Right. But you've got to be full of grace, and grace takes different forms. Grace is not tolerance. Grace is forgiveness and mercy, compassion, understanding. Grace is also being a teacher. But then you've got to throw in the instruction with it. And, you know, to your point, I think it's excellent point, very well taken. People today, they don't know what truth is. But yeah. even though that's probably true, we can't leave people there. So right. just because they don't know what truth is doesn't mean they can live their life without knowing the truth. And that's where our instruction must eventually enter into the conversation and enter, enter into the scene because they can find a lot of people in this world to love them. But yeah. love alone is not going to you know, put you in a covenant relationship with God. You have to know how to get into that covenant relationship. And so seasoning those conversations with salt, with the instruction, but done being full of grace is a wonderful motto and wonderful recipe for success. And Paul explains yeah. there at the end why you're going to do it this way. Um, so you can know how to answer everyone. I'm thankful for that because I, I feel like many times in the church, we're pretty good at knowing how to answer people who agree with us. Right. We know how to answer people who live a similar life that we live, who have the similar interests that we have. But sitting down with someone who would stand directly opposed to everything that I would stand for, um, yep. that's a challenge. So do you think this is real? Do you think if we approach people full of grace, but also season the conversations with salt, that we will know how to answer everyone? I think we'll know how to answer everyone. We'll have the motivation, the right motivation to do so. Um, but will they, will they respond? No. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, look, if, if everybody, if everybody hates us, something's wrong. Um, if, if everybody hates us, then we're probably, we're probably erring too much on the side of conviction and truth and not enough on compassion and grace. If everybody loves us, there's something wrong there as well, because uh, we're probably erring too much on the side of tolerance and 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 love and grace at the expense of truth and conviction. Like you said a while ago, eventually, instruction has to enter into the conversation. Once they know how much you love and care about them, then you you tell them the truth. Um, some people are going to turn away. Some people are going to accept it. I don't know why we should think we're any different than Jesus. Some followed him, some hung him on a cross. So, I mean, we can expect that no matter how well we present God's word, some are going to be drawn and some are going to turn away. Right, right. And going back to the metaphor that Jesus uses during the Sermon on the Mount, he brings up this salt conversation. You know, he says, you are the salt of the earth, um, which means you are a force, an agent to make everything better, to change it, to purify right. it, to preserve it. But he also says, if, if you lose your saltiness, you no longer serve that purpose. In fact, you're just right. there to be thrown out, be trampled on by men. So understanding the right amount of salt and how to use the salt is so critical to having a difference in the lives of people. If we just Listen, 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 though we should always listen more than we speak, but never get around to saying, okay, well, here's what God's Word has to say about this. What good have we really accomplished? And that a disagreement yeah. 
will never turn into a meaningful conversation. It'll just be a disagreement the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, and there's some things you just got to hit head on. I mean, if I, if I knew you were involved in some Ponzi scheme, I can't just let that go because I love you. You know, I've got to say something to you. And my words being seasoned with salt, yes, but uh, they also probably need to be a little bit harsher than uh, just, hey, I love you and I care about you and I want you to do right. I may have to say, look, you need to wake up. You know, you know this is wrong. You know that this isn't right. I mean, sometimes I'm not saying we beat people over the head with truth, but I'm saying at some point you may have to get up in their kitchen a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but you're doing it because you love them. You're doing it, and that's really what this boils down to. Whether it's this passage, you can go to 1 Corinthians 5, and you talk about expelling the immoral brother because of, of, of sexual sin. And even if it comes to the point where you have to exercise church discipline where you ask them to leave the church, why are you doing that? Because you love them. And because their hope the hope is that they will turn around and realize what they're missing by not being in fellowship and that they'll come back. But it was always out of love. The problem is we don't always handle it well. We trim the fat. We kick people to the curb or, you know, if they don't agree with us. And that's not what this is about. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Chris, I think we both know that, you know, this problem of disagreeing in our country over a plethora of issues. I don't want to lock this in just on one issue. The coronavirus right now is the, you know, it, it's the height of the conversation. But, you know, earlier in the year, before we even knew about the possibility of a coronavirus, I'm sure you remember in January and February, it was gun control. And I think yeah. it's interesting because uh, I guess it was last weekend, there was a big shooting at a Walmart distribution center in Northern California. And you mm -hmm. heard very little about it in the news. You heard enough about it for them to say, hey, this happened. But then it quickly got on to listening to Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burke and the conversation about which study do you trust and how much our case is going up and how many of those cases are real cases and how many of those deaths are actually caused by the coronavirus. And that, that whole conversation, something that was such a pivotal conversation in our country, six months ago has become almost silent because of these other issues that have come up. So uh, the concept of disagreeing and division and hatred, they're not going away. And I think right. they're only going to pick up more speed, especially when you consider the fact that we're in the middle of an election year. So yeah. moving forward, what role do you think the church needs to play in this? How much how much airwaves do we dominate in the conversation? That's a good question because, you know, you look through Scripture, look through the New Testament, you don't, you don't, find, you don't find God's people being protesters. You don't find God's people, um, you know, speaking out and, and demonstrating against the government. Um, what you find are people being instructed to be Jesus until Jesus comes back. That's what you see. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't be a voice where there is injustice? Absolutely not. Um, and I don't even like the terms social injustice or social gospel. It's just the gospel. It's just injustice. Wherever there's injustice, that's a bad thing. And, you know, the Bible does speak about that. It does speak about his people standing up for injustice. Um, how far do you go with that? You know, that's, that's always kind of a tenuous situation. But at the end of the day, what matters is being Jesus until Jesus returns. You see, the first church was a movement. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a monument that mm -hmm. sat still. 
It wasn't something that happened at a building twice a week at an agreed upon time. It was a movement. And this movement was not about protesting the government. This movement was not about going and getting people to vote the right way. This movement was about preaching the gospel, converting folks to Christ, and then getting them involved in the mission as well and continuing to move. It was an organism, not an organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the midst of all of this, we cannot forget that. Now, I'm one that says, go vote. I'm one that says, hey, be involved uh, in the political process and do your best to make certain that you're being a good steward of this, this, uh, all that we have been given and blessed with in this world. But remember that this world is not our permanent home. And remember, there's something greater out there. There's two kingdoms here, the one you're living in now and the one that Jesus brought. And you're a kingdom citizen. So just remember, this one's not going to last. The other one is. So don't invest so much in this one that you can't see the other one. That's very well said. And I, I love your line there, be Jesus until Jesus returns. Uh, because I don't think, in fact, we know this from Scripture. This is not just Jacob thinking or Chris thinking. God would never want us to turn an eye to social injustice taking place. Right. Um, right. To bury our head in the sand and say, well, we are of a different kingdom, uh, so we will do nothing to improve this world is wrong. It's not only so. cowardly, yeah. it's wrong. But Paul does say here in Colossians 4, you had to be very wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. So you can't just jump head into one area and forget about all the others because that's not wisdom. Uh, you, no. have to, you have to approach everything with humility and moderation and with the number one goal in mind, and that is seeking first the kingdom of God, being Jesus until Jesus returns. And, you know, the church, I'm, I'm glad, you, <laughs> glad you mentioned that. The, the early church, it didn't begin with an extreme amount of influence. Right. Now, I, I know that, you know, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are baptized when the church officially begins, but they aren't organized yet. And 3,000 is a lot of people, but you and I both know from studying history and knowing about what happened during those religious feasts of the Jews, such as the, you know, Pentecost and Passover, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people would have been there on the day of Pentecost? Yeah. To have 3,000 respond, though that sounds like a huge response today, it was a very small percentage of the amount of people who actually showed up. So the yeah. church begins as a family. The church begins with small influence, and it grows in influence by its members— by the parts of the body, each engaging in the mission of God. It didn't have a large national, international platform. The church changed the world by doing it one person at a time. Yeah, and you don't change the world through politics. You change it one soul at a time. And so we have to keep that in mind. You know, we tend to get really bent out of shape about politics, or we get to, you know, tend to get really consumed with it. But at the end of the day, you can do some good through legislation. But you don't truly change the world through politics. You change it one soul at a time. And no matter how good some of these politicians we may vote for do, I haven't seen one of them preaching the gospel yet. Mm -hmm. And so until, <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to see that, but they're not doing That's our job. That's our role and responsibility. And so we can't forget that in all of this. Right. You cannot legislate morality. Uh, yeah. And, and God doesn't operate that way either. If God legislated us into a covenant, it wouldn't be a covenant. 
It's a covenant because yeah. we make that choice and because he made a choice, but he doesn't force anyone to do the right thing. Yeah, right. Very good, very good. Well, tell us a little bit more about the work in Abilene before we finish, Chris. Well, it's going well, but, you know, right now we're kind of at a stalemate like a lot of people are. Um, we, uh, we, were, we were growing, doing well, and then, you know, this uh, coronavirus pandemic hit. But uh, we have started meeting together on Sunday mornings only, no Bible class, no Sunday night or Wednesday night. And uh, people are starting to get back at it and come out. Uh, you know, we've encouraged our more vulnerable members to stay home, and, and they have. Um, but, you know, everybody seems to be doing well with uh, kind of the steps we're taking. And uh, that, that in itself is kind of a challenge. You know, like you said, uh, you know, there are some who, who can't take their political blinders off and, and who believe that, you know, we never should have shut down in the first place. And you just have faith that if you get sick, you'll get over it or whatever. And, you know, the mask thing, I mean, for some, if you wear a mask, then you're buying into the fear uh, and the fear mongering. And if you don't wear a mask, you don't care about people and you're going to kill everybody. And, uh, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to navigate all those waters, but thankfully our, our people have been very, very complicit. They've been very kind and very encouraging. And so we haven't had issues here. And, um, but I know that's difficult for some churches. Um, everything's going well. My two kids, they go to Harding have been home since March. Uh, Libby of course teaches at ACU. She's been off since March and, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten closer connected. That's been a good thing during this whole pandemic, but, uh, I think everybody's ready to kind of go back to some sort of normalcy. Right, right. I think it's the same story here in Dallas. I know it's a little bit different out in West Texas, but we have the same feelings. Well, Chris, thank you for your time today. Thank you for uh, sharing some of your thoughts. And what we've talked about today is understanding how to disagree respectfully. Neither Chris nor I, to borrow his term, feel like we have the, the... market or the monopoly of understanding on this issue. It's a process of growing and trying to live a life that does honor God. But Paul does give us some wonderful advice for our daily circles. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Be understanding, be kind, have compassion, listen more than you speak. But Paul says at the same time, be seasoned with salt, have some instruction, give the truth so that you may know how to answer everyone. If you're ever in the Abilene area, I'd encourage you to go worship over at Oldham Lane. I have the privilege of speaking there each year. Chris is a fabulous teacher and preacher. Chris, what are your service times? Where are you located in Abilene? Yeah, we're at 5049 Oldham Lane. Um, we, uh, We have a concurrent service. Both of them are at 10. One is in the Family Center and one is in the auditorium. Right now, that's all we're meeting. Uh, but we do have live stream services that start at 9 for Bible class and then 10 o'clock for worship and then again at 5 o'clock. And then we even have Bible classes on Wednesday night at 7. Uh, you can also catch the uh, Life in the Light television program at 10 o'clock on KTAB here in Abilene. So a lot of different ways to connect, and we'd love to uh, love to get to know you. All right, Chris. Well, thank you very much. And thank you all for thank tuning you. in to our second episode. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with others. As I ended last time, I want to end again today. I encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven and remember that while we're traveling traveling down this road, there will be road work along the way, but we are here to help you navigate your journey. Have a great day and God bless.